Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show in freight, but there's also Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. It comes out every Friday, and you can subscribe to that on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Before we get into our guest interview, let's get into some headlines. The global healthcare cold chain market is expected to reach $20.9 billion by 2027. Vaccines are projected to hit $9.9 billion by 2027. Taking into account the ongoing post-pandemic recovery, growth in the clinical trials materials segment is readjusted to a revised 3.7 compound annual growth rate for the next seven-year period. The healthcare cold chain market in the U.S. is estimated at $4.5 billion dollars in the year of 2020. Um, so it will, you know, grow aggressively after that. Uh, China, the world's second largest economy, is forecasted to reach a projected market of $4.1 billion by the year 2027. Among other noteworthy geographic markets are Japan and Canada, each forecast to grow at 2.1 and 2.7 respectively over the next seven years. Valentine's Day just wrapped up and millions of flowers were flown to Miami from South America and then transported across the country at breakneck speeds to ensure flowers don't wilt or die. This could look different in upcoming years. In static tests by the Taiwan Florida Floriculture Exports Association in Taiwan Agricultural Research Institute, a Daikon Active CA controlled atmosphere container was able to keep a shipment of orchids in shelf-stable condition for 18 days. Anyone who's tried to tackle keeping orchids alive knows that that is no easy task. Flowers are grown largely in equatorial countries such as Colombia, Ecuador, and Kenya, thanks to the lower energy costs for greenhouse. Cut flowers need a fast turnaround and are largely flown to economies in the global north. The CO2 generated by the sea transit could be less than a tenth of that generated by an air cargo transit. Next time you're at the mall or an outdoor outlet mall, stop by Wetzel's Pretzels to pick up the new frozen horchata and choco churro bits. Two offerings originally trialed at Disney Springs in Orlando have now made it nationwide due to customer high demand. Wetzel's competition, Auntie Anne's, has made the move to offer pretzels in the freezer aisle, but Wetzel still holds out for those mall-only locations. Today, we are joined by Barry Conlon, founder and CEO of Overhaul. Welcome to the show, Barry. Thank you, Mary. Pleasure to be here. Calling you from, or talking you from Mexico City. I like it very international. Well, I am not in Mexico City. I am in St. Louis, Missouri, um, where it is just rainy and infinitely cool and infinitely less cool compared to Mexico City. <laughs> so before we jump into our hot topic of the day, which is cargo theft and all of the fun stuff that comes with it, um, why don't you give us a brief rundown on your background and as well as how Overhaul got started? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've you can probably tell I'm not, although I live in Austin, Texas, I'm, I'm not from there. I'm, I'm originally from Ireland. I, my first career was in, in, in the military. I, I spent, well, many years, well over a decade, 11 years actually, in, in, in a tier one special operations. I kind of learned the the bad side of the supply chain when you're trying to protect global supply chains, that kind of thing. And uh, left the military, formed a company called Freightwatch with some of their army buddies at the time. And that I eventually ended up taking that to the States in 2000. And... Uh, six-month trip turned into citizenship and lifetime. And uh, so I, I bootstrapped that business, learned how to run run a company 
uh, for about 12 years and I sold it then to a Fortune 50, um, which is interesting because as you, as you probably know from the press release, I, I've just bought that asset back from the company I sold it to 10 years ago. But, you know, I've, I've been based in the States in Austin, Texas since then, and um, we're delighted to have done this deal. We are truly a global company again. So, yeah, it's exciting days ahead. I like it. You're like, I'll start something and then I'm just going to let you borrow it for a little bit and then I'm going to take it back because I want it back. Uh, but I'm just going to let you hang on to it for a little bit until I'm ready for it again. That's kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I mean, hey, clearly you had a, such a great idea. You just wanted to be part of it twice. Yeah. And so, I have to say, they did a fabulous job of it in, in the 10 years they had it, but I'm very happy to have it back. Yeah. You're like, you guys did great, um, but it's mine again. So thank you. <laughs> Give me my toy back, please. <laughs> so uh, we did touch that we say that we're going to get into some cargo theft stuff today and the technologies behind it. Um, what are some of the most common ways that you'll see criminals try to steal cargo during transit? Um, some, of, some of the core problems that, you know, eventually we'll get into solving some of those problems here in a little bit. Yeah. Well, let me just start off by saying it is a professional uh, operation um, when we're dealing with cargo theft it, it, it's organized uh, it's in very very many cases uh, multinational you're dealing with some really really clever people who know supply chain and know how to kind of take advantage of the weaknesses of supply chain typically when you're talking about the techniques that are used out there you know we, we say in the industry freight at rest is freight at risk and we know that in your when you're dealing with kind of global supply chains end-to-end multimodal there's a lot of handshakes there's a lot of stop starts and every time there's a stop um you know occurring for whatever reason there's always someone ready to take advantage of that and you know you're dealing with theft on one el- one aspect of the threat ratio or the threat spectrum that's happens in places like truck stops it happens where you know somebody might be parking a load in an unsecure spot but then another part of the world like mexico where i am today or Brazil or other locations where there's very dynamic and, and, and active supply chains, you're also dealing with hijack. And hijack is where these professional gangs will actually determine where that load is going to stop, not a truck stop. It could be somewhere in the middle of the road and they're going to take control of your product and it disappears. So there, there's different threats, but in many respects, they all boil down to actually understanding where the vulnerabilities are, where they're, they're likely to happen and what can we do to kind of steer people around these kind of risk areas so they can have a faster, smoother and um, on-time supply chain. Yeah, nobody really wants to be the victim of a cargo theft. Like nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, ooh, you know what? I would just love to get my cargo stolen today. Like nobody just wakes up and says, this is a great idea. <laughs> so it's kind of, um, I mean... Yeah, it's, it's a very important point, Mary, you, you bring up because... This is a this is a shared pain uh, with the the different logos that might compete in the marketplace around their product and what a customer is going to buy. But everybody's a victim of, of cargo theft. Uh, you know, you, it may be your competitor one day, but it could be you the next because they're they're very indiscriminate. They they target product they want, and you know if that's a, a fridge, they're, they're coming after several brands, not just one. So, and that's why you have organizations like Tapa which is the Transported Asset Protection Association, which is an industry-wide um, best practices for security organization that really kind of help educate, even some, in some cases, market competitors on what are the best practices you can do to make sure that you're, you're not vulnerable to this. Fantastic global organization that is very successful in, in driving the security standards higher 
So, you know, we, we can push this problem away, and particularly in times of crisis, like we're dealing with supply chain now, where there's even less, um, uh, facility, well, well, there's less capacity, let's put it that way. You really need to make sure your product gets there the first time intact and on time, because if it doesn't, replacing it is very, very difficult, if not impossible. Yeah. And it just, it's a headache that nobody wants to do. Cause then, you know, for every shipment you have that gets lost or hijacked or stolen, you have to, you know, resend it out and that's profit that you're not making. So kind of how has this problem changed in recent years? I know we've had a lot more supply chain issues, supply chain shortages. Um, so, you know, that kind of does roundaboutly lead to potentially some more cargo thefts. Um, but like what have what kind of new challenges have emerged in this world um, that is just kind of something that everyone's going to have to deal with, whether they want to or not? Well, really, not a lot has changed, but there's a lot more attention being paid to it because of the, the state of supply chain. So these techniques that criminals are using, have, they've been using for decades, but it kind of went under the radar in many respects because, you know, supply chain was healthy. There was plenty of different options. Replacing product that's stolen was not such a big deal. And now that that is a big deal, it's getting more attention and, and, and more time. So in our world, you know, the, we, we know it's a behavioral challenge. Like if you can get your vendors operating to the, the level of professionalism standards uh, from, from, from a secure standpoint um, or even an insurance standpoint, not a lot of bad things happen. Like you, you tend to avoid, which is always the ideal kind of outcome. You don't even want to deal with the, the cleanup of a recovery. Now we're very good at recovering uh, stolen product when it happens around the globe. We, we, you know, in the last 24 months, we've probably recovered upwards of $270,000 worth of, uh, and that's a constantly changing number because we do it every day around the globe uh, in actual products that's still in this packaging and be brought back into the supply chain, no claim, right? So there's that cleanup that we're very good at, but really it's billions of dollars of avoidance has gone into that because again, what we do is we use technology, we use visibility to guide and kind of like poke the cat as you're trying to herd the cat into line around the compliance line. Stay on the line, cat. If you can stay in that compliance line, good things will happen. And that kind of poke and prodding is not a dashboard. You know, we, we can't operate in a world where, where you just report a problem we're charged by our customers with fixing it because, you know, it's always going to happen at 2, 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning. It's, you're trying to get some freight moving that you know is vulnerable because there's, there's an active uh, crew in the area. And you, you literally have to wake people up or you have to go to law enforcement or you have to go to someone who's outside your loop. And we use fusion towers that we have around the globe to do that where, you know, we have operators who can do the poking and the prodding in a way that actually leads to a successful outcome. And you'll never know. Most people will never know. Uh, these thousands of little pokes that go on each day are occurring because it just leads to a faster, more secure supply chain. And that's the outcome our customers are looking for. You kind of mentioned, you kind of touched on a little bit, you have these little tech pieces that like poke and prod and keep the cats in line. Um, kind of what are some of the latest innovations to come from there? And how does like, how does this technology, you touched on a little bit, but maybe go a little bit farther into it, of how this technology actually can stop cargo thefts from happening? Oh, Mary, it's just been such an exciting last 10 years. You know, the, the, the digitization of supply chains has been such a boom to my industry because now, you know, we don't have to rely solely on being the kind of inserting technology so we can actually see what's going on. Everything's connected. 
and everything reports, whether it's a, you know, a shipment creation TMS to a, 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 a truck telematic um, that, or, or a trailer telematics or some other, like the world of IoT that's exploding right now. And, and you know, it's becoming, you know, it's already a commodity, but the prices of these devices are going down to the pennies. Like everything is connectable today. And the more data we get and that we aggregate and we can layer, there's two kind of we see as data lakes that we can that we merge to do our job. One is the kind of location, the status, what's happening to that freight. Is it hot or is it cold? Is it is it moving? Is it stationary? And then it's the contextual data, like what's the weather like? Um, what what else is going on around that shipment? What other, um, you know, because look, in a claims world, 60% of all claims are related to poor driving practice because it's road traffic accidents cause 60% of the damage to freight. So that's something that we have to kind of measure, mind, and educate on. So having the ability to connect into systems that allow us to actually rate kind of safe behavior is 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 would not be possible 10 years ago. But with this revolution of, of the digital world and everything being connected and, you know, data wars, it, for us, it's been just an absolute magnificent boon to allow us to do our job. We're, we're just better informed, more situationally aware, and that allows us to pro- pro- proactively prevent uh, or respond quickly in, in the event that something happens. I like that you are just saying, yeah, bring on all the visibility tools, bring them on. We'll take all of them because that only helps you guys be stronger, make better decisions and everything like that. So in a world of, is there too many visibility tools? You guys are probably going to say, no, there's not. We want more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know when we look at visibility, it's probably in a very different way than the traditional focus of data aggregator on-time performance. So we call that table stakes. But we're actually designing products that allow us to actually impact the insurance environment and how insurance is paid for. Or, or you know, and, and more importantly, the most important metric in all of that is the, is the loss ratio. So, you know, we've over a trillion dollars in trade flowing through our platform today, right? And that's our current state. And our loss ratios were operating in, in the low double digits, which in the insurance world, like if I dissected that low double digit, you know, and we took away the, the ones that would probably would be a claim denial because somebody didn't follow the compliance steps after being told four times, uh, you're, you're into the low single digits from a loss ratio. And the insurance world are looking at numbers like this, and it's astounding to them that this level of protection can be done digitally throughout the supply chain, which, you know, they, they will get aggressive on, on what they charge a shipper for his premium. Uh, if they know they don't have to pay out these big claims and everybody wins. So the shipper gets a lower, like really saves money. That's significant capital savings. And um, the, you get your, your shipment delivered intact and on time. And at the same time, uh, the insurance companies are really happy because they're protecting premium. They don't have to pay out claims. So everybody wins in that environment except the bad guy. Which I don't know that I ever won an environment where the bad guy wins because that means everyone else kind of loses. So I'm kind of okay with everyone winning except the bad guy. That's right. That makes my day too. <laughs> so um, for those who might not know, Overhaul did just, as you kind of touched on again, um, you guys acquired SensiGuard. Um, so how does this acquisition really, because um, SensiGuard you know, ha- ha- does a lot with temperature controlled stuff and making sure that things stay at consistent temperatures and 
all that jazz. Um, so kind of how does this new acquisition really poise you guys or put you guys in the spot to be the largest provider of in-transit supply chain cargo security? That's simply merit scale. Um, one of the biggest kind of growth impediments I've had, and we've had impressive growth over the last number of years, you know, like, um, you know, doubling, quadrupling uh, in the early days now to, to, you know, strong, you know, 50, 60% growth uh, cycles. And that my limiting factor from my customer base has been most of my, my, my customers are global brands. And they probably need you in more in international markets than they do in domestic. And yet most of our revenue is domestic. So having the ability, and it's not something you can just say, oh, I'm global uh, because I ship globally. Uh, that's not how it works in this world. In, in the world of visibility risk management, it, it, it's you have to have the expertise on the ground. Don't Do, do not go to somebody in the Mexican market and, and try and say, well, I operate here in Austin, Texas, and, and you know, I, I, I do everything you need me to do in, 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 in Mexico. They will just look at you and know that that's just not feasible, not possible. You need that local kind of expertise that, that really has some mastery around the nuances, and it's the nuances that kill you in, in international markets. So instantly with the acquisition uh, of, of, of SenseGuard, which you know, was, was under the parent of SenseTech, um, Instantly, that gave us that kind of uh, global fusion tower capability. So I have operations now, actually physical operations, where if people, I've got, you know, I've got, I've got a, a fusion tower that, that has people monitoring customers' freight. Uh, I have sales teams. I have management in, in, now I have it in Prague. I have it in Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil, and I have it in Mexico City, Mexico. And truly uh, complementing our, our European operations that are based out of uh, Dundalk in Ireland. Uh, and also our, our U.S. operations uh, headquartered in Austin, Texas. So we truly do have a global footprint that we're proud of now. And we can actually stand in front of our customers and saying, yes, I am ready for your global trade. And that that just even within the brands that we're currently managing, uh, you know, almost 400 brands uh, customer base is, is, is truly impressive because they're all the household names of from a technology to a pharma company that you, you'd be familiar with. And they do have that demand that you have to get the service needs globally. I, um, I mean, it's, you kind of said it perfectly. You kind of need that, like, um, for lack of a better analogy, you need that nod from the bouncer. That's like, no, you're good. Go in. You need that, that nod of like, yeah, come on. It's fine. It's fine. Come on in. The water's great. Um, so, uh, once you get that nod and you're all set to go into the, into the, into the international market or into that country, um, what do you think some of the future looks like for that in, for like either the future hardware, technology, software, anything? What do you think that that, the future of in transit supply chain cargo security might look like in five to 10 years from now? Oh, there's still like we're only scratching the surface of, you know, affecting real change using technology, Mary, to kind of really kind of shape, shape up how this is done. There, there, there are still companies today that are using physical escorts to secure freight as it moves to various different countries. And that's, if you think about it, that's somebody who's putting two maybe armed professionals in a car and they're, they're basically following people. So to become the taillights of the truck, they're, they're trying to protect. Yes, it's a very effective means, but you're doubling the transportation costs. Now, there are so more, um, more effective and more situationally aware solutions out there than, than using a physical escort when you know, electronic freight security is, is absolutely fit for purpose. But more importantly, it's actually better. And you know, the, 
the availability of data streams that are coming online now that even allow us to kind of kind of sense and detect when there is nefarious activity going on and doing so ahead of time. Like this, this is the data revolution of you know using data effectively to achieve an aim. And in our case, our aim is very defined. We want to make sure that that freight remains protected, it remains pristine, and it's going to make its its way to its destination on time. And you know, for us, we have to be connected with that uh, product in various different ways. I'm not going to go into how we do it because it really is an arms uh, race with the criminals. Uh, you know, so, some gangs in, in around the world will use jamming technology to try and defeat your signal uh, relay, but, you know, you have to have kind of counter-jamming techniques that go into your technology. So it truly is an arms race with the, with the bad guy and you're trying to stay ahead of them. And, you know, I think we, we, we do maintain the lead right now, but we don't take that for granted. And, and we're, we're a technology company. It's a, you know, I've more than half of the you know, 650 people in the company now are, you know, are, are, are in the technology field, either developing, engineering a product, or testing, or managing, and um, that's going to continue. We're, we'll always, um, you know, we've got a big R, not just a big D, in our R and D. Uh, and for us, it's it's like bringing out the next thing that's going to stay ahead of that bad guy. And you know, there is a demand for visibility, but there's a demand now. Just about every visibility player is trying to use risk management in in their statement because that's what the customers are saying. I want, I, I want. I want you to give me a location and a condition, but I also want to, I want to know you can protect it and you can do something, not just report a problem to me. And that's why we're successful against some of the more traditional guys out there that, that are just dashboards. That's, I like that, you guys. That, that, yeah. I was going to say, you guys are just like one step ahead of everybody. You are just like, oh yeah, we're here. Like go back here, but we're here. We got it. Don't worry. Yeah. So if um, you, um, um, you continue to invest in that, it, it, you, no, don't get comfortable. No, stay ahead don't of get. That's what you're going to keep doing, Mary. Yes. Um, so we are almost out of time, but I have two questions for you. The first one is sure. if you had one top tip to give somebody to, you know, like if, if you had one top tip to give a shipper to put into place or to enact to reduce their cargo theft, uh, what would that one top tip be? Well, it is know your vendors. That is probably the most important okay. thing. And that's not necessarily just the top tier. Like uh, when you map your supply chain, you should know what it really looks like, know what you think it looks like. Because like, trust me when I tell you this, it's always different. And once you know a thing, you can actually manage a thing. And that's why it's, it's, a, it's like know your vendors, know your supply chain and take nothing for granted because it's always, always wrong. Okay. I like that one. That is not where I was expecting you to go, but I like it. Um, and then the one question that everyone that comes on the show has to answer, it's it's a delightful question that has probably been plaguing oh, no. families for ages. Um, is cereal a soup? I would say no. Okay. That's All my right. position. I, I also I would say no. no. Okay. I would say if cereal is a soup, you're using too much milk. That is accurate because once you use too much milk and you get like soupy, it just gets so soggy. And then it's like not satisfying anymore. It's just like mush bowl. Exactly. There's a solution for that. It's called a cup, right? (laughs) (laughs) I like it. So if anyone wants to uh, take on your cereal opinions or, um, you know, reach out about some cargo theft questions or some freight tech or some technology in that area, where can they find you outside of the show? I'm in Austin, Texas. I'm, I'm, I'm well known out there in the world. Uh, going to, to some of the shows, but please um, 
drop me a, drop me a line at uh, barry.connell.over-hall.com and uh, I'm more than happy to answer here some of your questions. Awesome. You guys heard it here first. Find Barry at the at find Barry at trade shows and, you know, slide into his email DMs. We've got it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Mary. Pleasure. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on Freightwaves TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No worries. Subscribe to the newsletter on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Until then, see you on the internet.